Totally Football Show. Today, it's an Easter feast of action, with topically everything from a Christian celebration at the bridge to hammers nailing saints. We round it all up, salute Everton Man City, 25% of the goals with 18% of possession, Everton surely the real winners, and we look ahead to the Champions League, Sevilla against a Bayern side that's just done Dortmund 6-0, Liverpool Man City, Barcelona Roma, and Juve going for revenge against Real. All that plus Latin's Hollywood Bulls and your questions in the Totally Football Show. Heads up, roll call, Sasha Gurionov. Morning, James. Matt Davis. Hello, James. Daniel Story. Good morning. All right. Russian flavour today, because you work for Russians. Sasha, you are Russian. And Daniel, you, you are Russian to finish off your top secret commission. That is right, yes. Yeah, you've got a deadline, haven't you? I have, Friday. What, this coming Friday? Yes. Damn. That's why you, can, you can't see my eyes at the moment. Yeah. And also because you just spent the weekend staring at football. Yes, I was. I watched three games this weekend. Super. Breaking news as we begin today's Easter Monday special Toodley Football show is that uh, Alan Pardew and West Brom have consciously uncoupled. <laughs> they, they, West Brom have called it um, a mutual parting, but given ah. that Alan Pardew on Sunday said he wanted to stay at the club next season, hmm. it would seem that... Maybe it, that's what it very prompted much, the... Yeah, well, he actually said he would reward fans by by sticking with them in the championship, at which point 30,000 West Brom fans said, we've got one way you can reward us, and it seems that West Brom have listened to, the, to their advice. OK, um, do we know who's coming in? Uh, Darren Moore is going to take charge for now, uh, until further notice, according okay. to the statement. Um, this game on Saturday, there were lots of empty seats at the Hawthorne, so I wonder if that maybe was part of the thinking. I mean, obviously they're going down anyway, but uh, two wins in 29 Premier League games for Pards. Right. Well, better luck next time to Pardiola. We're going to begin our coverage, though, of the Easter fixtures with a slice of history at Stamford Bridge. Danny, Danny, you beauty! I love you, bro! Yes! Three, one! Danny! I just don't think you understand! He only comes from you! Bang! Spurs winning at Stamford Bridge for the first time since 1990. London is theirs. Daniel Story. Yes, I wrote those exact words. Uh, yeah, they were absolutely brilliant. And the interesting thing for me is that this this summarised where Tottenham and where Chelsea are at perfectly because Chelsea took the lead, were far better in the first half, I thought, but are unable to maximise their opportunities when they're ahead and are unable to come back into games as soon as they fall behind. They're unable to respond to adversity. Whereas Tottenham are the opposite. They are a team that is fully behind their manager. They have a manager who is fully behind their club and there is no bad feeling between anyone from top down, which means that when they come across a setback, and every team will, um, they respond to it brilliantly. And more impressively than that, as soon as they get their teeth into a game, they tend to maximise every every positive aspect of it um, and that's exactly what they did against Chelsea and to me it was a complete mocking of, of Chelsea's short ter- termism which let's be honest does work and has worked over a long period of time but this was this was the other argument this was the the opposite argument for a team slowly built built in the image of its manager who intends to be there for a long time I hope and has been there for a while. I thought it was fitting that this was this was Pochettino becoming the Tottenham manager who has managed the most Premier League games in in the club's history, uh, and it was it was a performance completely built in his image because right. it was you know it was that that second half was 
was absolutely ruthless. Well, really recent was. recent times, then Spurs have ended that long business of St Tottenham's Day, and now they've ended this long victory drought at Stamford Bridge, doing it without Harry Kane. Of course, all the more impressively, Matt. How how does this go down at Chelsea? Conte may not be bothered, or at least that's what it seems. But what 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 was the feeling like after at the club? Um, it was very moribund. Um, to be honest, it was it, it it clearly had a big effect on them. They Edin Hazard is one player in particular who puts a lot of stock in beating Tottenham, as we've seen in in previous seasons. But but a lot of the squad do as well. And I think having come into this, having lost four of their last six, they saw this as a way to kind of make amends to the supporters. And I thought actually in the first half they played pretty well, but it's just been a case of missed chances have cost them a lot in, in recent matches. And Daniel's right, the difference between the where the two clubs are at now is really pronounced. And whilst it was... It was a joy to watch Tottenham. It really was. You know, the symbiosis between the manager and the players, just where the club's at and, and the fact that they are so together is something to be appreciated and enjoyed. But from, from a Chelsea perspective, it just highlighted the problems that they've had this season. You saw the bench and the lack of quality on it. And when we saw Pedro's name not in the squad, um, you thought, who's going to come on and change this game? Maybe Olivier Giroud, but if he's not coming on until the 80th minute when mm. the game's effectively lost, then, then he's not going to be able to do that. And... Another problem Chelsea have had of late is that they haven't been sharing the goals around like they were last season. So William's been been bearing the brunt. Obviously, they missed Diego Costa. Um, I know he hasn't played much this season, but Gary Cahill got eight goals last season. He hasn't got any this season. Cesc Fabregas hasn't scored in the Premier League since, I think, September. And he looked like a player who was running through treacle yesterday. I thought it was, in retrospect, the wrong decision to put him in midfield with Kante. I know Bakayoko's had a poor start to his career, but you needed some energy um, to try and cope with Dembele and Dyer, who Kante was probably the only Chelsea player who emerged with any credit from the game, uh, but he was doing the work of two men because Fabregas just hasn't got the pace to keep up with a team like Tottenham. And if he's not influencing the game at the other end of the pitch in terms of picking out his passes, then he's not adding very much. And, and he was just a passenger in the game, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and too many Chelsea players were in the second half in particular. At the back, uh, Sasha, it's weird to see a... Conte team looking as slapdash defensively as Chelsea. Well, I think there are several factors for this. I think Christensen has been too much in and out this season, a lot of injuries. I don't think Rudig has been all that. To be honest, I think he has improved, but there hasn't been a stability at the back. And on top of this, you got Caballero in goal. Caballero, before the game, was introduced as Argentina's number one. Yeah, he just conceded five goals. And to be honest, he looked his age yesterday, 36 years old, a little bit slow, a little bit less flexible. And you could see it on the Ericsson goal. Yes, I think Ericsson would probably still have scored, but the way Caballero just folded and fell over, it was like, look, I'm an old man. Just This is completely unfair. Also, I think he's not getting enough criticism on the first alley goal because I think he should have been closer to the edge of the boxing. He should be cutting that ball out. And just overall, you have subpar players and that's Piliqueta sort of trying to keep the whole thing together and it just it, it just wasn't working. However, I would like to say that I think Tottenham buried their chances uh, and also Tottenham made it very, very difficult for this sort of makeshift uh, back line of Chelsea because if you look at the first half, there was a lot of movement between Eriksen, Alisson and Lamella. I mean, if you were looking at them, it was almost like they were playing four up front. Perhaps um, they were changing a little bit too much because Chelsea could, you know, do things on transition. And this is why after the game it was greatly discussed that Eriksen dropped back in in the front and the three guys ahead of him stayed in a slightly more rigid formation, which then helped them to press the line in the second half. And the first 50 minutes of the second half, it was fairly messy. 
But then you could see that finally the sort of the Tottenham perseverance and they're sticking to their new shape pay paid through. So um, I think from this, um, obviously it's a very depressing defeat for Chelsea. Um, and for Tottenham, I think, you know, there was a lot of talk yesterday about the 28 years. And to be honest, after the game, it seemed to Pochettino sort of just brushed that off. You know, we're, this is for the fans, right? Let them enjoy it. I think what is more important for him is two years. Because two years ago, Spurs came to Stamford Bridge. They had to win. They drew. Leicester won the league. And it was a complete mess. There was nine, nine yellow cards and that was like Spurs completely mentally imploding. Whereas this time, they had to win to put out the competitor and they did so in such a clinical way. There was a 3-1, there was no chance of Chelsea coming back. Yeah. How many points now between uh, Spurs and Chelsea? Uh, I eight. think it's eight. Yeah, eight. Yeah, so yeah. it looks done. And a key difference from, from this Spurs to the Spurs of the two years ago and the year before... Spurs have taken the lead at Stamford Bridge in each of the last two seasons and not gone on to win the game. This mm. time they fell behind and came back to win it. So that tells you that they are developing in terms of um, in terms of their character as well. There was there was a, um, a nice moment that I was privy to after the match in the tunnel um, between Martin Tyler and Deli Alley. Uh, Martin Tyler was having a chat with Deli Alley, saying you must make sure that you watch your goal when you get back home. So because it was so spectacular, and uh, Deli Alley was really. Oh, thank you very much. That's that's really kind of you, Mr. Tyler. Thank you. It was just a really nice moment between you know, sort of old and young, and, and just how much Martin Tyler still loves football. I think is fabulous. But but Deli Ali was obviously um, sort of visibly moved to get this compliment from somebody who he's been listening to all his life. It's quite sweet. Very nice. Mm. You get you get so much negative talk about Deli Ali, this young man who's, who's who's putting out amazing stats yet again this season. Yeah, Maybe not quite he, as he's much. He's twenty-one. As last year. You know. Yeah. I did, I did enjoy his. Uh, there was the picture of him celebrating one of the goals, just yeah. needling the whole of Chelsea. <laughs> a couple of listener comments. Johnny Houghton says, "Is Loris not actually as good as people say? He seems to have regular howlers that go seemingly unnoticed." Loris, he's made. He's now made uh, mistakes in big games. I think that's the that's the thing, and he he knows very much like Dejan Lovren. They are the mistakes that linger along in the mind. Lovren did an interview this weekend where he said, "Well, you know, I only make a mistake every eighteen games, and it's remembered. But if you make those mistakes in Screw big games, one pig." <laughs> Thank you, David Cameron. Um, yeah, if you if you make a mistake every eighteen games, but it happens to be in a big game, mm. and your team loses that big game, and that therefore directly affects affects your chances of of you know achieving the the team's ambitions, then it will be remembered. And and Loris is suffering the same fate. He he's he's well below Edison. He's well below David De Gea. He's very much in that that league below the, the best goalkeepers in the league, I think. And he started the season in the same fashion because if you remember when these two teams met at Wembley, two minutes to go, um, Marcos Alonso basically shot through him. Um, and there's other, I think, less perhaps glaring stuff, but when he comes out for three balls, uh, he's hesitant. Um, and I don't think we saw that maybe a year or two ago. He was much more natural in what he was doing, but now I think he's overthinking the confidence isn't quite there. So he's not the same goalkeeper I think he was a season ago. All right. Jim Barnett says, following Daniel's praise of Lamella in his 16 conclusions from the bridge, uh, describing Lamella as a, as a bastard, essentially, Daniel, yeah. who are the pod's favourite bastard players? Mm. Matt? Um because of his goal this weekend, I quite like Ashley Barnes. Do you? He's a, he's a, he's he a good bastard. As a oh, he tripped a referee and got a ban for that. Yeah. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheeky. I like him. He's that was an form. amazing goal, wasn't it? Oh, it, I mean, I, I was covering that game and I did my worst piece of commentary ever because I just went, oh! <laughs> <laughs> because I wasn't expecting Ashley Barnes to do no. that. Um, but yeah, magnificent. So Can we... Where could we find that? Oh, you can you can dig it out from Talksports International feeds. I'm sure I'm sure Ben could find that. Oh, it's Ashley Barnes. He scored a goal. 
What what channel was that on? Uh, that was for uh, Talksport International, primarily for listeners in the Caribbean and Africa. Wow, they'll have enjoyed that. Mm. Mm. Daniel, yourself? Well, I, briefly, I'll stick with Lamella for a minute. Uh-huh. I thought he was the game's best player yesterday. He, oh, really? He he's always been this kind of selfless attacking midfielder in that you can ask him to do the sexy stuff and he does it and you can ask him to do the saboteur stuff where he just gets into the face of the opposition and and Pochettino switched around at half time and effectively played him as a false nine for the second half and just told him to annoy the hell out of Chelsea's defenders and that's exactly what he did he he made more tackles than any other Tottenham player um I really love the way he has after quite often after a long injury a player might come back and want to you know, want to be involved in goals and assists and creating chances because, quite frankly, that's how you get noticed as an attacking player. But he has, again, welcomed this selfless role and this, yeah, this bastard role of getting into the face of opposition players. It's not something I recall him doing particularly much before he came under Pochettino's no. tutelage. So uh, interesting but, how he's brought him on, Sasha. But there also has to be a little bit of control to it because two years ago in the North London derby, Lamella had to be uh, removed because he was about to get sent off. And it, Basically, that cost Spurs the game because I think the Spurs were 2-1 up, flowing really nicely. Lamella was getting wound up. He got replaced by Ryan Mason and they lost the momentum and ended up drawing the derby. Mm. Yesterday, there was a couple of incidents in the 16th minute. Basically, he barged into Christensen, tackled Kante, and then sort of waved an elbow, I think, at Alonso. But he calmed down after that. But there was the studs-up well, challenge he, in the he, second half. Yeah, you know, but, but what he's good at, and it, it's, a, it's a dark art, what he's good at is... Um, making fouls not look like fouls. He makes them look like tackles, or he makes it look like incidental contact. The, the, the elbow in the first half was exactly that. He lifted up his arms before he went into the challenge, which makes it look like incidental contact. But he knew exactly what he was doing. And, and he, very similar to Ander Herrera at Manchester United, who does exactly the same thing. He kind of, as soon as he's criticised by a referee or, or penalised, he, he kind of look, gives this butter wouldn't mouth look. But it actually, it works. And, and it allows those around him to, to flourish. He, he, he takes at least two men when he's, when he's doing what he does well. Wow. Sasha, favourite bastard? Uh, Portus Van Bloom. You haven't heard of him. He plays for CSK in Moscow, but I think you'll see him on Thursday. Thursday? Yeah. Wow, that's going to be interesting. We'll hear more about Pontus and his, his chums from CSK very shortly. I'd throw in Paolo Montero. <laughs> Quite an open, openly a bastard, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, I don't, there was no subterfuge <laughs> there. Um, now, anyway, that's all very exciting. MVR Murty says the top four's finalised, the bottom three shaping up too. Should one even bother watching the Premier League for the last two months now? Is that the top four settled, Sash? Yes, I think so. Uh, it's too much of a gap. I mean, I think Liverpool and Spurs do have to drop a lot of points for Chelsea to catch up now, and I don't think it's possible. OK. You were also at Selhurst Park, were you not, early Saturday for Liverpool's 2-1 win. 2-1 win, which saw them coming from behind as well. Uh, ugly win. Liverpool didn't play well. Um, they were visibly off pace in the first half, I thought. Uh, but it was a very dogged performance. And as Klopp said after the game, the uh, dirty three points are very often the most important. Right. And th- this was it. I think Liverpool were lucky. Uh, they was Benteke were... their best player? Well, it's interesting with Benteke because at the start of the game, I thought he bullied Matip very well. And then about 10 minutes before halftime, uh, Virgil van Dijk moved over to give him give him a bit and immediately Benteke got wound up and then Van Dijk did a very cheeky thing he was bringing the ball out of defence just after the foul from Benteke and kind of went by Benteke basically sticking up two fingers at him and Benteke kicked out at him yellow card and at that point I think Benteke was rattled so perhaps maybe there was a he wasn't quite focused when he was taking those two chances in the second half maybe this is a little bit fanciful but those two glaring misses within 37 38 seconds of each other I think mm. after that you're thinking well this is probably going to be Liverpool's day having said that um, I think 
once again, Palace defended very, very well against one of the top sides. Uh, when they were sitting deep at 1-0, there was hardly, you couldn't really find a way through. We've seen it this, this before. And what I didn't expect as well, at 1-0, they actually went for it. Um, they went for it for a good maybe 20 minutes. Uh, but you could see with 10 minutes left, they basically went, OK, we are spent here. And this is something I think that fans quite often don't appreciate. They think, oh, our team is so tired here. And I could see lots of Liverpool fans getting furious at 1-0 with 10 minutes to go, going, oh, why aren't we running? But what perhaps they weren't paying so much attention to was the fact that Palace were absolutely knackered. So it was a very tired team defending against Salah in those closing moments. Right. And one player I'd like to single out for particular praise is Andrew Robertson. OK. Because Liverpool scored their first goal. He actually breaks up an attack. He's left back at right back and Liverpool eventually to do the business and he also does the assist uh, for the Salah winner and I think uh, you know he, for example at the weekend City uh, had Laporte who is 57 million playing left back uh, Liverpool had an 8 million left back from Hull uh, who is looking the part OK and you're going to be facing City of course on Wednesday at Anfield are you going along to that game? I will be going to the return leg at, uh, at the Etihad at the Etihad OK well, we'll be going to that clash in a sense of actually sitting here and previewing it right after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power, the home of the Money Back Special. Keep listening to the end of the podcast to find out more. Liverpool, Manchester City, who of course were on Merseyside this very weekend, warming up for their Champions League quarterfinal with a 3-1 win at Goodison. Some great numbers here for fans of possession stats, Matt. Mm. Don't know if you were... Across this, Everton who uh, had less than eighteen percent of possession, but still scored twenty five percent of the goals. So that's <laughs> impressive. Uh, first thirty seven minutes, City going three 0 up. They had eighty four percent possession in the first half. Fernandinho on his own had about the same possession and the same number of passes as the entire Everton team. Goodness me! Wow! It's almost as if Pep Guardiola is a, a better coach than Sam Allardyce. I, that's one interpretation. Kevin De Bruyne he might also have better players at his disposal. Here's Kevin De Bruyne's uh, comments after the game. We had we have had a lot of games where we've controlled things, but here the first half especially was something different, another level. You could see it in their faces in the first half that they don't know what is happening. That's why you feel in so much control, I guess, when you see it on their faces. Nice to hear a, a player coming out and directly saying, "Yeah, we." We made them look stupid. But that's what Manchester City are doing. They're, they're psychologically beating teams and opposition managers before they start. Uh, I think the other stat was that City, as a whole, recorded more passes than have ever been recorded in a Premier League game before. Really? How many? Yeah, I think it's 905, I think. OK. Um, and, I mean, Everton, Sam Allardyce picked Morgan Schneidlin and Wayne Rooney as a central midfield pairing, which was... Um, it was just an embarrassment. It really was. Rooney completed five passes in 57 minutes before being substituted. Uh, Schneidlin didn't complete one till the 36th minute. It was. It was. It was abject from from Everton. That's a really stupid choice. Just in case Big Sam's listening, why? Because they're so immobile compared to this free flowing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Wayne Rooney is 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 a central midfielder by default now. I think uh-huh. it's fair to say Morgan Schneidlin has been wretched at Everton. You know, I, I feel for him because I think he was an excellent player at Southampton, but his career has has dwindled badly. Um, and he's low on confidence and, and what you need when you play Manchester City is you need to have the confidence about your own game to get into their faces and risk being humiliated three times but nick the ball off in the fourth and they didn't even try and if you don't try against Manchester City they'll make you look very stupid very quickly Sasha, how worried are you about Wednesday's game? I still think City are massive favourites um, basically they, they're looking in much better shape they have much stronger players they play better football Um 
And I think the, Liverpool's problem would be they could beat them at Anfield. Um, as they did in the 4-3, by exploiting a bit of space around Fernandinho, by cutting off the passing from Otamendi. But Liverpool are going to have to be on the game for 180 minutes over these two legs. And I am afraid that against a team like such a relentless machine, such mm. a City, it's just going to be very, very hard. I, I think uh, a big difference could be Van Dijk, because Van Dijk hasn't faced City with Liverpool this season just yet. And I'd like to see how they would, they would defend against this very fluid front five. But... Um, and I think another thing that could help Liverpool is if they somehow put it across that this is a European tie. Um, I think City as a club, as, f- as a fan base, I don't think they've really embraced the European Cup uh, as such. I think you know, they, they're struggling to sell the tickets uh, for the Liverpool game, for example, whereas Liverpool's tickets were swept away straight away. I know City have sort of been mocking Liverpool's attempt to, you know, Liverpool fans have been talking about the European atmosphere and City fans are like, what is that? However, you know, I think it's easy to mock these days, but for big European games, I think Anfield can still do it. I mean, for example, I went a couple of years ago when they beat Dortmund 4-3. Liverpool uh, at one point needed three goals to go through and there was still belief in the crowd that they could do it. And I think this could be, this could be a major, major difference. Slightly concerned about Alexander-Arnold, uh, given the way that Zaha yeah, I mean, made his life in misery, what, what might happen with Arnold, Arnold has um, at least one or two glaring mistakes each game in him. Uh, this, is, this has been happening every time. I think he's um, sort of been, not getting away with it, but he's only young. Um, but that definitely can be exploited. And I think you could see the way that Zaha was basically accelerating past him uh, in the early stages of the Palace game, that, that that is definitely a danger. I am not at this point quite sure how they're going to do it. I mean, obviously, you could, I think Klein could be ready. I mean, this could going to be slightly left field, but Klein is a very steady 7 out of 10 player. Maybe that's the type of experience you need here. Mm. I actually think it comes down to courage for Liverpool because I think if they, the games that Manchester City have struggled in this season have bizarrely been against um, lower league teams. Bristol City, um, Wolves they struggled against. Obviously, they lost in the FA Cup to Wigan. So it's teams that have nothing to lose. Liverpool are a team that play at their best when they play as if they have nothing to lose. When they, you know, their most famous... Um, performances come in adversity when they're behind when they think we might just throw everything at it now that's very easy to say but to do that at nil nil is is a, is a very brave thing to do against against the best arguably the best team in the world at the moment having said that as you point out Sasha Man City's last visit to Hanfield Liverpool did beat them 4-3 they, they rattled them badly yeah. uh, in the second half there was ten, the 10 minute spell where by the end City were barely standing up and you know Guardiola admitted this after the game they did, certainly did not expect that and they did not know how to react however in the end in that game if people remember Liverpool burned themselves out after about 75 minutes and then City's class almost told they almost equalised mm. so, so that was 90 minutes it's going to be 180 minutes now I just at I least. just don't. I, I, yeah, at least, at least, yeah, it's true. Uh, I just think that City, City are just stronger. All right. City could do without um, the United game at the weekend, though, couldn't they? That's a distraction in in terms of the Champions League. Well, you know, they've got the opportunity what? to win the league against their biggest rivals. Guardiola's Does that affect actually, team selection? Yeah, Guardiola has actually said the or animated this morning that um, he's prepared to rest players for United, which is ha. is a is a funny one in that they're going to win the title anyway. So. Actually, going out there and resting players, it's almost a bigger message than, or a stronger message to United than winning the title in their ground. It's going, well, actually, we're not really too bothered about this Manchester dive. We've got much bigger fish to fry. Oh, are you not playing in the Champions League this week? Oh, that's, that's strange. <laughs> well, I think, I, think, I think this is a great opportunity to massively insult Mourinho. Um, and also Liverpool have a derby as well. Of course. Uh, and again, I think this is a situation where 
it was important to win at Palace because Liverpool now have the points cushion that they can also rest players for the derby. So, right. Okay. Well, among the teams who are playing in Champions League this week, you've got Bayern Munich, who warmed up for that with Der Klassiker, massive match in Bundesliga on Saturday as they welcomed Borussia Dortmund. Frightening, wasn't it? It was extra- It was like watching that Brazil-Germany game all over again. First half, they were 5-0 up, and it, it could have been more, frankly. Hat-trick from Lewandowski, uh, goals from Muller, Ribery, and Habes Rodriguez, who looked particularly lively. They're going to be taking on Sevilla, who, as you may have seen, led Barcelona 2-0 on Saturday night. They looked set to become the first team to beat Valverde's side in the Liga for 11 months until Valverde brought on Suarez and Messi, and they they sorted it out. Earned a point nine times Barcelona have been behind this year in the Liga each time they've come back. Barcelona, for their part, will be taking on Roma and probably putting a tennis score together. It was 6-1 last time Roma visited the camp now. And certainly what Roma did at the weekend didn't suggest in any way they're going to be a match for them, particularly because Rajan Angelan went off with uh, looks like a hamstring problem. So they'll miss him. And the other quarterfinal, of course sees Juventus hosting Real Madrid in a repeat of last year's Champions League final, which Madrid won 4-1. Will history repeat? Let's get a quick word from TalkSport International's Alvaro Romeo. I think that Real Madrid is uh, weaker than last year when they played against Juventus. Uh, number one, because they sold uh, some key players, the likes of uh, James Rodriguez, who is out on loan to Bayern Munich, uh, Pepe, Alvaro Morata. Those were players that, uh, of course, made Real Madrid stronger than it is now. But all that said, uh, Real Madrid is probably now in uh, their best form of the competition or uh, in their best moment of the of the season. Um, they are doing an incredible 2018. Uh, they have scored uh, 38 goals since the turn of the year. Zinedine uh, Zidane knows that uh, it's uh, all about Champions League and he's resting players in La Liga, focusing 100% in Champions League. And I think that Real Madrid... Uh, arrives in this game versus Juventus in a, in a really good moment. And uh, regarding Gareth Bale, I would say that uh, it's not certain whether he will play or not uh, against Juventus. I would say that he won't, uh, despite uh, having played a, a great games against uh, Las Palmas on Saturday. He scored a couple of goals. One of them was a classic Gareth Bale uh, running the left and then... Uh, blasting the, the, the ball uh, into into the top corner. But I don't think that he will play because uh, Zinedine Zidane is looking for balance, is looking for players that uh, have a defensive uh, commitment. And probably he will plump uh, for a player like uh, Lucas Vazquez or Asensio instead of Gareth Bale. He prefers to play with a 4-4-2 with Cristiano Ronaldo and Benzema up front than win a 4-3-3 in the important games. Listeners, who was the last team to knock Real Madrid out of the Champions League? That's right, it was the old lady three years ago. Also, can I just point out that Spurs beat Real Madrid this year in the Champions League and Juve beat Spurs. Ergo, no, but I mean, looking at the two times, there are outclassed, and maybe there's a Spurs parallel here because I think you would concede that with the best will in the world, Juve are outclassed by Real Madrid squad in most areas, except maybe the back line and the keeper, although there are those who would. But I think the one area where they have the definite advantage, and we saw this at Wembley, is the man on the bench. Allegri over Zidane by some distance. Uh, so 
uh, could be interesting, this one. I think this could be tight. What do you think, Sash? What the, I mean, how, how would you sort of interpret the game on Saturday, on Saturday with Juventus-Milan? Right, uh, OK, so did, Saturday did, they had a massive game hosting Milan. And the fact was that Napoli, who had what looked like an easier fixture, went and drew away at Sassuolo, meaning that a win for Juve put them four points clear. It's not a massive margin. They've been that far ahead before and it's been pe- pulled back. But on this occasion, people are taking it as a little bit more significant. They beat Milan... But Milan gave them problems. Milan did give them problems, it's very true. And a, and, a, and a more ruthless side than the Rossoneri, who are still finding their feet a little bit under Gattuso, I think would have punished Juve more. That said, there were a couple of really positive notes. For them. One, the fact that Paolo Dybala, who was such a disappointment in the final last May, seems to really reacquired his confidence. This time last year, he was key when Juve knocked out Barcelona, remember, in the quarterfinals. And then kind of fell apart in the final apparently got slapped in the dressing room by Leo Bonucci for not being man enough. It's taken him a while to get his game back together. He's been absolutely brilliant in the last couple of rounds. So that's one thing. The other thing is the fact they've got uh, Juan Cuadrado back, which I think adds a real dimension to to the game that no other player in their squad really has in terms of that. But, well, maybe uh, Alexander on the other side. but uh, And Douglas Costa's been looking great as well. So, they, you know, they have the tools with which to beat Real Madrid, although the fact that Real beat them 4-1 last time they met suggest they might be favourites but it should be a brilliant game that I think it's extraordinary I I agree with you because I've seen him play for Juventus a couple of times but having seen his brief Chelsea career it's extraordinary to hear and they've got Juan Cadrado back (laughs) being a positive well it's a bit like Mo Salah when he failed to do anything at at, at Chelsea but looked great in City and of course not bad at at Liverpool and maybe not quite on that level but yeah Listeners, if you want to combine your knowledge of the footy with your knowledge of the FTSE, then you need to get yourself over to the Football Stock Market Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your knowledge of the Premier League, League One, Serie A, La Liga and beyond. Buy and sell players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. T's and C's apply, you must be over 18, deposit required, and please trade responsibly. Arsenal have European action. Sasha, they take you on CSKA Moscow. And they just... Uh, You're chuckling. Why? We're now saying correctly, CSKA Moscow. Okay, yeah, right. So, um, how much are Arsenal going to have to smile about in this game? Well, CSKA Moscow uh, are quite a limited side. Uh, they haven't got basically a big squad. Uh, they haven't got any money. They haven't really got much new blood coming through. Um, they struggled quite badly for a while in the Champions League group stages in the autumn. As you can see, you might remember that um, United beat them very, very easily. But they do have a massive, massive trump card, Pontus Wendblum, the guy I mentioned earlier. Now, Pontus, Pontus Wendblum is a very, very dirty defensive midfielder uh, who, like over the last three seasons, I think he picks up a yellow card every two games. Doesn't get sent off that much because he's just there on the edge. That's why he's a great bastard, because he knows, I think, how much he can get away with. So back in the autumn, they were in Basel. They were pathetic. They were 1-0 down at half time. Back comes Alan Zagoyev, the number 10, the great hope. So what happens, he goes in, uh, Golovin, uh, the, one of the more promising Russian midfielders, drops into mi- defensive midfield, and Pontus Wendlum goes up top. 
Now, he hasn't played up top in ages, literally ages. He played up top for a couple of seasons at Göteborg after, I think it was at uh, Markus Berg, went to Groningen. So he had to replace him. But since then, he's been a defensive midfielder. And he was a revelation. He scored five times in six games, but he was suspended for the Old Trafford game, crucially. So that's why CSK looked so tooth- toothless. Now, this spring, he was kind of being brought back as a, one of the three central defenders. Didn't quite work. And they stuck him up top again. So he got the winner at Lyon. Uh, he got the third goal, um, and he also scored the winner at the weekend at Rostov. Again, they're all quite scrappy and ugly, but he's extremely effective at using his body, his elbows. Just he, just he is horrible. Is he kind of Diego Costa-esque? Uh, I think he's probably a little bit more measured than Diego Costesque. I think I think he's he's very much in control of everything that happens. And uh-huh. He's very much I'm gonna do I'm gonna be this filthy, but if I do this much, I'll get sent off. So I'm just gonna stay below this level. People in Russia every week are amazed that he doesn't get sent off all the time, but he just manages to stay on the right side of the law. So you know when he comes up against that Arsenal central defense, I'd love to see how he roughs them up. But I still think Arsenal are big favorites because CSK have a very small squad, very slow at the back. But I can fear if the guy will love to laugh at. Mm-hmm. He's actually had pretty good springs since he, since going out of the Champions League. Yeah, he's been, he, he's been playing. He's been playing actually quite well. Yeah, it's maybe yeah. it's the Champions League. He has to stay away from it. But he's had a very very good uh, march. Uh, he made a couple of crucial saves at the weekend as well. So I think they could make it awkward. But I, I still would have Arsenal's favourites. Okay, Arsenal who've come into this with a three 0 win over Stoke, which sounds impressive, Daniel. But yeah. yeah, it was it was a very very strange game. The first half was. Um, almost the complete non-performance. The the crowd were um, immediately on their backs, those of them that turned up uh, to watch the game. And it was incredible to watch an Arsenal team that was struggling to make five-yard passes, literally five-yard passes. Now, they are very fortunate they were playing Stoke, who, under Paul Lambert, have, have become a, a non-entity in, in the attacking third. They've scored four goals in eight games now. Um, and... Although Stoke had the odd chance, Shakiri hit the post from a corner. They were never really in any danger of losing the game and eventually went on to win it fairly comfortably. But they were abysmal. They were absolutely abysmal. And, and the odd thing is that Wenger has spoken recently. Finally, he said the Europa League is the priority because we're not going to reach the top four. And yet he picked a, he picked a very strong side yesterday. That was for a reason. That was because he said that we'd had a bit of a break and I don't want them going into Thursday's game kind of not, you know, not having played together for a few weeks. But... Having picked that strong side, he would have expected a, a strong performance. And they were they were absolutely dismal in the first half. The, the first half is, is is genuinely one of the worst halves of football I've ever seen Arsenal really? play. They, they were absolutely awful. Wow. Um, Are Burnley going to pit them to sixth place, do you think, Matt? Um, they could quite possibly, based on what I saw from Burnley um, on Saturday. Arsenal were lucky here because the penalty they got to open the scoring shouldn't have been a penalty. And you, you wonder if that hadn't been given, whether they would have got on to win it. Um, Stoke... Down now, I think three points from safety, worst goal difference, one win in 13, none in eight. They're going to need to turn around their form in a way which um, the form book suggests they are incapable of. But yeah, Arsenal were slightly fortunate to get the win. Okay, we'll talk uh, more about other Premier League games a little bit later on. Sasha, quick uh, quick reaction to Russia's two recent performances 3 0 defeat to Brazil, a 3 1 defeat to France. And one of our listeners raising the question last Thursday whether. Russia are going to be the worst host nation ever at a World Cup? No, I don't think so. I think South Africa were worse. Okay. I don't think they're going to be. But are people concerned? No, not really. Uh, (laughs) I know that sounds ridiculous, but uh, people have been very downbeat about Team Russia for a very, very long time now. I think, you know, since the breakup of the Soviet Union, they made it uh, into the, you know, the knockout stages of a major tournament once in 2008. Um, They got the tournament many, many years ago. 
uh, you know, they went with Capello, a um, couple of other guys, and it's just like there hasn't been a strategy to get to the World Cup. How we're going to build this team? They've had years and years and they didn't do it. So now, about two and a half months before the World Cup, they still haven't really got an idea of how the team's going to set up. Yeah, they 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 haven't got the players. A couple of key defenders got injured. Um, uh, maybe there is a bit of hope in that midfield, but in terms of defeats against France and Brazil, pff, I mean they're in a completely different categories. Mm. Um, you know, it's uh, you know I think the idea was possibly for us to test themselves against the bigger sides. Well, they're never going to give they were never going to give Brazil or France a decent game. Um, I think the sort of the main focus now is um, obviously the brouhaha in political sense and finishing the stadiums off and making sure it actually passes off as a decent tournament. There is no hope of Russia winning the whole thing. There's very little hope of Russia getting out of the group. I think um, the, only, the only good news is the group stage draw, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, beat Saudi Arabia in the first game and maybe, maybe take maybe a point off Egypt. A and... but, but basically, Egypt, you know, um, yeah, I mean, Egypt haven't had, uh, didn't have two particularly impressive results, though. You know, they conceded very late against Portugal. But you know, uh, I think everyone around the whole world is frightened of Mohamed Salah, and just thinking of Salah coming up, coming up against that slow, not very good mm. Russian defence, you know, it is pretty scary. Russian Salah. <laughs> Salad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's what, yeah. You're writing your headlines for June now, James. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think in terms of um, sort of getting ready for the tournament, I just had a little look through the state of the stadiums. Uh, mostly going to be finished, even though the stadiums in Nizhny Novgorod, Kaliningrad and Volgograd, where England are going to be playing, haven't officially been opened yet. Okay. They're going to have a series of test matches later on this month. Uh, one, the, the big mess is the stadium in Samara, where Russia actually going to play one of the games. That's sort of nowhere near finished yet. I think they will finish it eventually, oh. but it's becoming a little bit of a joke. Um, and interestingly enough, in terms of legacy, you know, people talk about legacy in the World Cup, you know, mm. what's going to mean for local football. Uh, the teams that play in Kaliningrad, Nizhny Novgorod and Volgograd, for example, uh, draw 4,000, 1,000 and 2,000 fans. Mm-hmm. And they currently like play... watching City Well, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> it is. So I can't really see an explosion of interest. So, for example, the stadium in Volgograd is suddenly going to get filled by 45,000 Russians. Right. I mean, it's absurd. Right. Was it Volgograd that Peter Schmeichel scored again? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Rotor Volgograd. Yeah. So Rotor have had a very tough time of it, sort of gone bust, come back. Now they're in the second division. Uh, but, yeah, they do play in front of 2,000 fans and they're like 15th. So the legacy has suddenly been... Has sadly been squandered. Maybe there'll be a post-World Cup boom. We, we shall see. No. <laughs> OK. Um, <laughs> we had uh, George Qureshi talking about the World Cup boom that MLS has enjoyed in the past. And in a second or two, we'll hear from him again about another very special boost. Yeah. Pulling up with the crew. Oh, my goodness. Must have done same with the roof. Oh my the fans were demanding something, and, oh my and I gave them love. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic! Oh, come on! Come on! LAFC have just been Zlatan. Welcome to Major League Soccer. Take a bow. Sensational. I was born old, and I will die young. This is for sure. So when I came to England, they all said I was old. I came in a wheelchair. After three months, I conquered England and they say I was flying. Picks it up. Calls, calls Ibrahimovic! Oh, are you serious? It doesn't get much better than this, folks. He was always going to steal the show. Two goals on his debut. I think we're talking about one of the all-time great MLS games. MLS, welcome to Zlatan. Did you think he was going to live up to the billing? Of course he did! 
out of this world. Every superlative you want. What a way to announce yourself to Major League Soccer. The fans were demanding something and, and I gave them something. Yes, Latin did make his debut in the LA Derby all right, and even for him, it was a stunning start. Galaxy going from 3-0 down to 4-3 winners with Zlatan brought on with less than 20 to play, scoring first of all that outrageous half volley to level and then supplied by Ashley Cole heading in the winner. In the city of Hollywood, you couldn't write a better script, etc. and so on. Well, let's hear from the man who only last week was urging the Galaxy not to use Latan in this game, George Qureshi of Howler magazine. George. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was wrong. <laughs> it, it can happen. and But, you know, Zlatan is going to Zlatan. The game they call El Trafico now being described widely as the greatest MLS game ever. Yeah, I mean, God, yeah, he's a showman, right? Like he comes in and, and you let him do what he does and, and this is what you get. It's It was just a gripping match. I, I, I thought it was over at halftime and, and look, he just... What can you say? He's spectacular. So he comes on at 72 minutes because that's all he can really manage. And talk us through the goals. His third touch, I think, is is the first, that incredible half volley. You know, he had a few a few chances that, that you know, people watching were just getting so excited because he, he gets the ball and you can see the, the LAFC defenders sort of drop off and, and think, you know, this is Latin. i gotta <laughs> got to watch out. Uh, but the, the first goal was just Unbelievable! It was reminiscent of the goal he scored against uh, against England with the, the bicycle kick. Um, there was a, a clearance. The header came over the over the halfway line. Uh, it bounced uh, once, and he sort of just turned. Um, he must have known where the goalkeeper was, and just turned and and just hit it on the on the volley, and it just swerved right over the goalkeeper's head. The the the, the view from behind the goal was just magnificent, and and you see it just sort of doesn't hit the ground before it hits the net, and it's just beautiful. Um, second goal, uh, he's. Ashley Cole makes a run down the left. He plays a, a ball and just sort of lofts it in and, and must must think, you know, Zlatan's in there. He'll 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 get there somehow. And he does. Uh, and, and some people thought he was offside. I don't think he was. Um, and uh, look, uh, the Galaxy was was down three nothing and and they were coming back a little bit before he got on the field. But there's no one in the league. There's maybe very few people in the world who could have come on and and and, and did what 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 he did. That winner coming in time added on poor Carlos Vela. Um, oh man, what a what a game he was having! Um, beautiful first goal. Uh, I, I was thinking, man, that's no one's going to beat that this week. <laughs> and, and, and then the second goal was fantastic as well. There were shades of a goal by Giovanni Dos Santos a couple of years ago against the U.S. national team when he sort of. Uh, got the ball, um, toyed with Tim Howard, who was on the ground, sort of swiping at it, um, and, and kept his head and, and just chipped it in and, and Vela did the same thing in this game. And, you know, LAFC, Bob Bradley, again, the coach, uh, came out three, nothing up, uh, right after the half. And you gotta, you gotta think, um, the game's over, but you know the, this Galaxy team as well. I'll, I'll just remind you: was missing its top three players probably before Zlatan arrived. Um, Roman Alessandrini and and then the Dos Santos brothers were both on the on the bench, so um, injured. So um, you know <laughs> they would have gone uh, gone down in a pretty humiliating defeat to their their new rival in the first match. But Zlatan did what Zlatan does and 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 saved them. George Koreshi of Howler Magazine quick note while we're talking about football overseas about France 
where this weekend Paris Saint-Germain took on Monaco and beat them 3-0 again in the League Cup final. I watched this game. Oh, did you? Yeah, and it could have been very different. PSG oh. were, were a lot better than Monaco, but it could easily have been 2-2 at half-time. Oh. Uh, Ronnie Lopez missed a one-on-one, went for a dink when he should have put his foot through it, and then uh, VAR correctly as it turned out ruled out uh, a Falcao goal which would have been right on half time would have made it 2-1 mm. would have been a different game but Kylian Mbappe was absolutely sensational assists, in this no? match yeah and yeah. he won the penalty as well oh, um, right. he was he was fabulous a joy to watch him that is 11 trophies out of a possible 13 since the Qataris took over domestically fifth time in a row they've won the league cup as well wow and they're now on course for their third domestic treble in four years Danny Alves has picked up his 36th trophy, so he is the most tro- the trophiest, winningest, most decorated yeah. American player, so. winning trophiest <laughs> player of all time. Listeners, do you like shaving and looking smooth and clean? Yes. But do you enjoy having to go to the shops for new razors and other shaving supplies? No. no. Well, Cornerstone gives you everything you need for a great shave, and they'll deliver it all right to your door. Cornerstone's super sharp, award-winning blades are engineered in Germany, which is always a good sign, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Get £10 off your first order and check out the range for yourself at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. Football League news. Wolves still six points clear of Cardiff. But Cardiff have now won eight matches in a row. Or more importantly, they are the first team, Daniel, in Football League history to win five consecutive league matches against teams whose name begins with the same letter. In this case, B, Bristol City, Barnsley, Birmingham, Brentford and Burton. Yeah, that has totally football show favourites. Duncan Alexander's fingerprints all over Mm. it. That's tweet. Signs of life from Sunderland. They defeated Derby 4-1. So first victory in 10, they are three points off safety with seven matches remaining. Of course, there's a full round of games coming up uh, this Easter Monday in the Championship and across the Football League. And you can hear about all of that in the Totally Football League show on Tuesday. Speaking of other podcasts produced by your friends at Muddy Knees Media, Matt Davis, you're the new host of Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast. It must have been quite a competitive selection process for that, was it? It was me or producer Ben, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But no, the, the, the world of wrestling podcasts is uh, is quite a cutthroat business, James. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Why? The, 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 well, there's loads of them, basically. It's... Um it's obviously not for everybody, professional wrestling, but mm. if you're into it, it's a real cult. You, once you're in it, you're in it and you follow it um, to the nth degree. And so, yeah, on Friday, I um, spent four hours sat in your chair, which okay. literally I fit in fine, but metaphorically, I found far too big. Oh, um, don't say, we'll, we'll chop all that. <laughs> I'm, I'm uncomfortable now. But, uh, um, yeah, so parts unknown. Our WrestleMania 34 preview will be dropping, as I believe is the term in the podcast world, at some point this week ahead of um, the big event in No on Sunday which I'm sure you'll be staying up until the wee small hours to enjoy yeah Carrie Dunn Anton Tolui of Sky Sports and, News fame and Carl Anker yeah we had a great um, a great discussion on Friday about all things Wrestlemania why should people listen to your wrestling podcast and not one of the many many other ones um, I'd like to think we bring a fresh perspective on it certainly um, Carl Anton and Carrie are, are new voices to the to the wrestling podcast mm. game but we are previewing 34 this week and then we're going to be looking back at every Wrestlemania from 33 to 1 going in reverse order so it's a great opportunity to watch the events and then listen along to the podcast for a neophyte like me to get 
you know, get into the sport. Sports entertainment, James. The sports is the entertainment. Term that we use. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, then that's that sounds like a perfect opportunity, Matt. By the way, that's that's coming up on Tuesday. Wednesday, we'll be doing another Golazzo. You may have enjoyed the BT Sport Films documentary of that name. So, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. It's very good. Over the weekend, but we're going to be doing our similarly uh, titled uh, podcast on Wednesday. Of course, looking back on whatever happens to Juve and Real Madrid on Tuesday, but also looking forward to the weekend Roma taking on Fiorentina, and we're going to use that as an excuse to have a proper old a nostalgic hark back to the uh, the golden days of Batigol, Gabriel Batistuta. So uh, do join us for that on Golazzo. Now, back to the Premier League. Bottom six all lost, so not much change in the relegation picture. Saints are two from safety, Stoke are three from safety, West Brom are ten from safety. But I guess the, the, the biggest move, I mean, Newcastle with a fine win, but West Ham going five points clear after whooping Saints. It's fair to say that most people were predicting a very different outcome from this match. Or like a massive riot. Well, or further problems for David Moyes, maybe Southampton beginning to live up to some of their parts. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting before. In the, the build-up to all the game, you had Karen Brady plus, I think, David Gold and David Moyes certainly did it. And so did Mark Noble in an open letter, kind of demanding or... You know, pleading with fans that they need to get behind the team and that that would help the club. And I, I always think it's quite ironic that when club owners and managers suddenly realise the importance of the fans, but ahead of a big game and say, you need to get behind us, as if to say, well, yeah, and you need to support us as you haven't done for the last 18 months. But yeah, the West Ham fans did come up and they did turn up and they did cheer the team on. But that's because West Ham played at a level above total incompetence, which they had done against Burnley. It was it was the opposite. They conceded three second half goals against Burnley. They can they scored three first half goals against Southampton, and Southampton were absolutely desperate. It should right. be said. And Arnautovic uh, looked terrific. Sorry, Mark. Yeah, I was just going to say, Marco Arnautovic, an underrated bastard, uh-huh. um, oh, and yeah, he, he proved that in this game with his wonderfully enjoyable goading of Mark Hughes, so which what? he didn't seem to want to stop. <laughs> no, right. So, 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 talk me through that. So he runs he, after scoring the first goal. Mm. He does the crossed arms of of West well, Ham. both Black Panther, but also <laughs> more traditionally West West Ham. But he does it at it is at Mark Hughes, is it? Uh, yeah, he sort of runs in his direction, and then I think at half time, uh, David Moyes had his arm around him, kind of leading leading him away to say, OK, well, you, you've done it now. Very good, Marco. But you look back at West Ham's summer transfer business and, and it seems sort of laughable to bring in the likes of Zabaleta and Hart and, and Javier Hernandez, all these Premier League also runs. But in Arnautovic, you know, you could argue that he, not single-handedly, but he's played a massive part in them mm-hmm. likely staying up. You know, this goal, uh, the winner that he got against Chelsea, um, he scored in seven games. They've won five, drawn one, lost one. So his goals have been of critical importance to them. So whilst before David Moyes came in, he was being lambasted as a, as a ridiculous signing, he's actually, he might be the difference between there being Premier League football or Championship football at the London Stadium next season. Wow. Among the positives of that game, Joe Hart getting his first clean sheet since September, which may or may not have something to do with the fact that Southampton didn't have a single shot on target. They are they are an awful attacking team as well. They, their problems under Claude Puel last season came as a result of failing to take chances and They've got worse. Um, Charlie Austin's still their top scorer, isn't he? And yeah. He hasn't played for half the season. Yeah, yeah although he, he was back for this. Start, FPL, yeah. FPL doctor says, how did Southampton go from being the model club last season to relegation candidates? All they've done is sold Virgil van Dijk. Well, they yeah. sold the club as well, didn't they? Mm. Ah, OK. I but, mean, I'm not sure whether how much effect they should have on the pitch, but um, I, th- I don't think Pellegrino helped at all because he didn't seem like a guy with 
particularly firm ideas of how football should be played. And it's like <clears throat> when I went to Southampton to watch them play Liverpool, they just seemed a team that's completely, well, a bunch of players that lost interest that weren't listening to their school teacher who was shouting stuff at them. And I think once that sets in and you're apathetic, it's quite hard to just, you know, turn it on you know, when, the, when the new manager arrives. Mm. And I know there is the new manager bounce and stuff like that, but I think they've been in that malaise for so long. It's quite hard to wake up. Hughes is also the not the man for a new manager bounce. He's twice been appointed mid-season in the Premier League. He won one of his first 10 at QPR and two of his first 10 at Blackburn. He eventually kept both clubs up, but because he had a period of five or six months to do so, not five or six games. So to me, that was a, an entirely uninspiring appointment as well. So yeah. do we agree with MVR Murty that the top four is finalised and the bottom three is, is sorted now? Stoke, I think Southampton so. and West Brom? Yeah. I mean, Huddersfield are the only other team you, you could see maybe trading places with Southampton or Stoke. But Southampton, they, they've got Bournemouth at home later this month, which it looks like a winnable game. But but other than that, they've still got to play the likes of Arsenal, Chelsea, Leicester, Everton and Man City. Now, you can say that, you know, Man City will have won the league by then. Arsenal will have other things on their mind. Chelsea aren't in great form. But you just can't see Southampton turning around there. there. Same with Stoke. You know, it's, it, it's so difficult to go from not winning in two, three months to, OK, we're going to win three games out of five now it's, it's, I mean it happens every so often with a Sunderland or whatever but I can't see it with this Southampton team mm. Huddersfield as you, as, as you mentioned in some danger of being drawn into that they were defeated again 1-0 by Newcastle Sasha Huddersfield are very odd aren't they they just seem to turn off for some games and they are so many away games they register absolutely nothing uh, lose one, two, maybe three nil. Don't seem to be particularly bothered about it because they almost think that, that the way it comes across is they almost think that we'll pick up points in other games. Mm. And it's certainly what it looked like on Saturday because I thought they were they didn't really offer anything uh, beyond maybe trying for a nil nil draw, which admittedly they almost got. Mm. But uh, I do think also the goalkeeper is a problem because Lursel made a mistake yet again. But it was also looking at the way they were defending uh, a couple of times. I think Newcastle had three players in the box against seven. Newcastle, uh, seven Huddersfield defenders who just, just stood there and watched the ball sail in, including including the, the eventual winner. Um, so I, I don't know how Wagner coaches them or how sort of he gets them to focus on games and what he tells them before the games, but there certainly seem to be games where they're just like, okay, this is no points this week, we'll pick it up next week. Brighton away next week for yeah. them. Brighton away, then Watford at home. So they're two games you, you'd imagine that they, they'll get up for. Um, I, I was also pleased to see Elias Kachunga get a start just because it's such a satisfying name to say. Kachunga. Daniel, you were waving a finger. Uh, just a word of praise for, for Rafa Benitez, really. Okay. He December the 16th, um, Newcastle lost to Arsenal and that, that, that made it nine games without a win and one point from those nine games and they're in the bottom three. Since then, they've played 13 league games and only lost to Liverpool and Manchester City and only the current top four have taken more points over that period. Now, that would be impressive anyway, but given that December the 16th was the week where it became public knowledge that the takeover was going to fall through. Right. And the fans protested against the club and Rafa Benitez spoke out to ask for money from Rafa, uh, from Mike Ashley in January that, that didn't come. That's an incredible effort from Benitez. You know, at, at that point was the first time that people were starting to question him as well as the club and saying, well, maybe he's not getting the most out of the players. But, he, I mean, he's answered that with you know, emphatically. Mm. That's an incredible record. And then one of the standout managerial achievements of the season, I think. Outstanding. And also good signing. Dubrovka, the uh, the goalkeeper. Uh, three clean sheets and three home games since he signed. And they won all of them. Magnificent. Three other games. Leicester beat Brighton. Glenn Murray missed a pen. Kasper Schmeichel has now saved three of 14 Premier League penalties, which is better than his dad. Bournemouth drew 2-2 with Watford. 92nd minute equaliser for... 
Jermaine Defoe, and it was a 2-0 win for Man United against Swansea. Oh, Renato Sanchez has gone back to Bayern Munich. <laughs> has he? I, yeah. I saw him. Um, Renato... It might have been some months ago. I don't have no idea. Slipped out of a side door in December, I think. Yeah. I saw him in um, 2015 or 2016. He played a, a game at Aldershot for Benfica B against mm-hmm. Chelsea's under-23 side. And he was just a giant on the pitch. He was so far above his own teammates and all of Chelsea's much-vaunted academy players at that time. That um, I mean, physically or in terms of skill both, and presence? Both. I mean, physically, he towered over everybody else. But Is you that could... what happened? Did everybody else just kind of grow and catch up with him? Quite possibly. That does happen sometimes. Mm. Um, but I think basically what happened is that he got his move far too soon. But certainly, from what I saw, uh, he, or, he can draw limited conclusions from a game like that. But there's, there's something in him, definitely, that, that has not been seen in the last few years. But I wouldn't be writing Renato Sanchez no. off just yet. How, I mean, he's still very young as well, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, lots of positives in that game for United. Lukaku, 100 Premier League goals now. Mm, yeah. Sanchez, two Man United goals. So that's nice. And generally a, a much more positive outlook from United in terms of their approach. Yeah, I, the Lukaku 100 Premier League goals thing was was sold as a big headline because he was the youngest foreign player ever to, to reach that mark. But actually, I think more importantly, he's led Manchester United over the last six, seven weeks when they needed him. He has been, him and Jesse Lingard have been the two players that have secured their top four place. His with goals and Lingard with the kind of creativity and the good news vibe that he gives with supporters. And that's come at a time when, when Paul Pogba and Alexis Sanchez have, have been pretty poor. So for all this, I mean, I think seven weeks ago there were discussions about does Lukaku deserve his place in the Manchester United team. To go from there to kind of leading the side forward is is a huge difference and a huge boon for him. Well, having discussed all of that, let's finish off in traditional fashion uh, by dialing up our friends at Paddy Power. Producer Ben, over to you. Thank you very much, James. I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, happy Easter. Happy Easter, Ben. Too much chocolate on my side, but uh, it's been glorious. Uh, what about the football, though, eh? Um, <laughs> Liverpool and Man City had two very good wins, uh, two very contrasting wins over the weekend, but they will, of course, go head-to-head in the Champions League on Wednesday night. Um, I think there are going to be lots of goals here. What price can you give me for three or more? Yeah, this is going to be sweeter than Easter egg I've scoffed this weekend. Uh, usually you'd say a first leg like this would be tight, tactical, defensive, uh, but these two teams know only one way to play, and that's in top gear. So like you, I've got high hopes for this match. Um, I think there's decent value in your bet. We go 13-8. to eight. There are more than three goals, and I fancy a bit of that. And there's a bit of a money-back special on this one as well. There is, and it is a very special one. It's money-back as a free bet if Mohamed Salah scores, which, let's face it, is quite likely. That applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scorers, correct score, and what odds paddy markets, max refund £10. From Champions League to Championship possibilities, uh, Huddersfield, they're sinking like a stone. They they can't buy a goal at the moment. They had a bad result at Newcastle. So what price on them going down at the end of the season? Yes, yeah, the sad one. Maybe they should have bought a goal scorer. But anyway, uh, we're no longer taking bets on West Brom going down. And we paid out on Stoke dropping the moment they hired Paul Lambert. So we think there's just one spot left to be decided. And as you correctly identify, Huddersfield are our joint favourites for that alongside Southampton at 6-5. to five. We think the only other team in trouble is Swansea, who are 11-2 to, to get relegated, with all the other candidates looking safe, or so we think. To the Europa League then. Uh, Arsenal are taking on Siska Moscow. We've got Sasha Gurinov in the studio with us today. Um, the return leg in Moscow is bound to be interesting. So what price can you give me on Arsenal winning the game but losing the tie? 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. Arsenal flat to deceiving Stoke, didn't they? But they did prove decent at penalties. Uh, CSK should provide a sterner test, particularly in the away leg, as you mentioned, where I would say that Arsenal players might be affected by the Russian fans' silent tributes recently. But they're well used to that at the Emirates, of course. Uh, we're 18 to 1. They win the first leg, Arsenal, but lose the tie. And Lee, I've had great fun today putting together a montage for Zlatan uh, scoring in his <laughs> debut on MLS, or scoring twice, I should say. Um, is he going to play at the World Cup and can he get three or more goals? He has retired, of course. Uh, I think he can pick himself after that sort of debut. It's hard to argue with his ego when he does things like that. And we're odds on that Sweden call him up for the World Cup. Let's face it, they'd be mad not to. Um, and if he does get that call, group stage matches against South Korea and Mexico offer him a real opportunity to notch a few. But with Germany, the other team in their group, and Brazil, their probable last 16 opponents, he only has a limited window to score three or more goals. So we'd offer you 12 to 1 on that bet, Ben. But if anyone can, Zlatan, Zlatan can. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Cheers, Sasha, Daniel and Matt for struggling in on this Easter Monday. Have you got excitement ahead of you? Uh, CONCACAF Champions League semi-final in the wee hours of Wednesday morning. Toronto FC versus Club America. Okay. Uh, Mexican teams dominated that competition. They've won it for, the, for I think, the last eight years. But uh-huh. you've got Toronto and New York Red Bulls in the semis this year. Mm. So MLS making a bit of a comeback. Nice. Should be good. Okay. Daniel, you're going to be writing. Yes, I'm going to be writing in every minute of every hour. And okay. also covering Liverpool Man City. Ah, that'll be huge. Sash? Off to the MLS on Thursday. Okay. Hope you have a super time, listeners. Whatever it is you choose to do, we'll catch up with you on Thursday. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. My name is Matt Davis. You know, the guy from Chelsea TV who supports Nottingham Forest and does the commentary of the Argentinian Premier League for Nigerian TV. And if, like me, you're the kind of listener who smiles knowingly every time Jimbo says, it's gotta be Kane, or calls the new Roma prodigy Sengis under The Undertaker, then here's some news to brighten up your road to WrestleMania. I've hurled the jabroni who used to host the Parts Unknown wrestling podcast through the barbershop window so that we can begin a new era. New guests, new music, new gimmick, new spandex. Parts Unknown begins on the first week of April with our WrestleMania preview show. And once we're done reviewing it seven days later, we'll begin breaking down all the previous manias from 33 to 1 in our WrestleMania Rewind. Oh, yeah! See, it's not just Serie A that deserves a nostalgia show. Mm. That's the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast with me, Matt Davis. Subscribe now on Acast, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Mm.